love, loss, clowns. I'm talking with Allison Crane and Todd Faulkner about their spooky, charming show, Uncanny County. We've got goofs, we've got scares, we've got secrets aplenty, including something Allison has never told anyone before. But that got your attention, huh? This is Radio Drama Revival. Hey there, Revivalists, it's me, your host, your pal, your dubious legal counsel, David Reinstrom, and have I got a treat for you, because we're going to Oklahoma! Not the Oklahoma of Rogers and Hammerstein, no, but the Oklahoma of Rogues and Hammer Horror. Yes, that's a stretch, no, I don't care. Uncanny County is a love letter to the eerie Southwest, where series creators Todd Faulkner and Allison Crane grew up, and we'll talk about how their backgrounds influenced the show after I play our feature. So, what is Uncanny County? It's a spooky anthology show, inspired by the Twilight Zone and Twin Peaks, but with its own particular off-kilter sense of humor. The piece I'm going to run today is called Coolrophobia. So, I scare pretty easy, and I found this very enjoyable, so do with that information what you will. Oh, right, so Coolrophobia, that's a big old $4 word, ain't it? Well, settle back, get yourself a Coke, Maybe some helpings from Oklahoma's official state meal, which includes, but is not limited to, fried okra, squash, cornbread, barbecued pork, biscuits, sausage and gravy, grits, chicken fried steak, pecan pie, and black-eyed peas, and enjoy. Because coolerophobia is just another way of saying fear of clowns. Enjoy the piece. See ya in about 28 minutes. You're riding alone on a moonlit but starless night. You just missed your exit. Now there's only one way back home. So sit back, open your ears, and hold on tight. Because you're about to take a quick detour through Uncanny County. Well, here we are. Ted. Honey. How are you doing so far? Okay. Wow. That's a lot just of... Just cl- breathe. Trying to, Susan. They're just dolls. Kids' toys. I know. I know. Sure, there's a lot of them, though. Boy, that one's big. Yeah, that's life-size. And then some. And those shoes? You're sure you want to do this? I do. It's important to you. To me. To us. All of us. The boys are awful proud of you. You told them? They knew. Sweetheart, everybody's afraid of something. No shame in that. Nope. Besides, you're facing your fear. That's why they're proud of you, why I'm proud of you. Mm Mm-hmm. Ted, you're sure? We don't have to do this. No, no. If we're ever going to become a family, I've got to get past this. We've got to get past this. I am so proud of you. Hello? 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 I'm coming, I'm coming. What can I do for you? We'd like, we'd like to, we'd like... We'd like to book a room. Seriously? Everybody else booked up? No, I don't think so. Teddy's motor lodge got the bedbugs again? No, no. We want to stay here. I see. And what exactly is the purpose of your visit? No purpose, just a visit. Why do you ask? Have you taken a good look around here? 
We have. We sure have. Well, and it may not surprise you to learn that we're not exactly the go-to locale for a romantic getaway. Nevertheless, uh, Buddy, is it? That's what's on my name tag. We'd just like to book a room. That all right? Reckon it is. Free country and all. Jesus. Earl, take down to room 32. Uh-huh. Check out is at 11 a.m. Nothing's complimentary except for the soap and no funny business. You get me? Will do. I mean, won't do. <laughs> funny business. Won't do any Is fun- that a joke? No. Good. That's good. I hope you enjoy your stay with us at the Clown Motel. The Clown Motel. You've probably driven past it once or twice, just off the junction of Route 66 and Highway 61. To most people in Uncanny County, it's an eyesore, a silly gimmick. An otherwise crummy motel, all painted up in primary colors and stuffed to the rafters with seltzer bottles, oversized shoes, and other clown paraphernalia. But to those who suffer from coulrophobia, paralyzing fear of clowns. The Clown Motel is a freestanding, three-dimensional nightmare. Ted Kreider has come here tonight with the new love of his life, Susan Pasternak, herself a professional clown, so he can finally conquer his irrational fear and they can begin their new life together. Assuming, of course, that his fear turns out to be irrational. Hold your horses, darling. I'll be out in a minute. Why don't you just climb into that big old bed? Big old clown bed. How you doing out there? I'm okay. Holding the fort. Ted, honey, it's not too late to... No, no, I'm committed. Fully committed to this course of action. Besides, it all seems a little silly after dealing with those weirdos downstairs. He was a bit odd. What is that guy's deal? Huh? And the other guy, the, the giant. <laughs> like this place isn't creepy enough. It's not creepy to everyone, hon. I know, I know. Sorry, hon. It's okay. You still doing okay on your own out there? Yep. Like I said, checking in was so surreal. I'm kind of getting past it now. I never thought I'd say this, but all this clown stuff seems a little less scary. Really? That's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, except for that one painting by the window. And the other one. And the other, other one. I'm good. I'm sure you are, but I think you've been alone long enough. Hi. Hi. Hi there. Hello. What do you think? That's uh, quite a nighty. Baby doll. Fredericksofhollywood.com. It's nice. Real nice. Real, real nice. Yeah? Yeah. You sure? Yep. Sure nice how that bright blue nighty matches that big old curly wig you're wearing. Thank you. I ordered it special, too. Kind of clashes with the big red nose, though. Oh, God. Oh, now, darling. Darling. Oh, I knew this was a bad idea. No, no. It's good. The nighty is good. We should leave. Uh, let me go take off this grease paint. No. No. I, I really don't want to be alone now. It's okay. Damn it. I really thought this would work. I just... I just get so aroused around you. I thought I could use it to push through this stupid... Your fears are your fears, darling. Nothing to be done about that. 
You're disappointed. Well, yeah, a little. I mean, it's not like it's a hobby or something I think is fun. Being a birthday clown is my career. And you know I'm good at it. I'm, I'm damn good at it. And it's a big part of who I am. It's hard to see a future where I have to hide who I am. I get that. And my boys, I have to set an example for them. I know you do. We do. Look, I want this. I do. Really, I can totally do this. In maybe just a few minutes. It's a lot to take in, isn't it? I mean, this is the first time I've worn a nightie like this for you, let alone with the makeup. Let me take a look in the mirror. Get a good look at what you're... Oh, God, no! What? What is it? I look like a whale. A big old blue whale. What? No, you look great. You look great. Oh, God, it's not the makeup. It's me, isn't it? I look enormous. No, no. I mean, your hair looks enormous and those shoes... I better not look at the shoes. But you, you're hot. No, you're kind, but... Susan, you're amazing. And I love you so much. I love you too, but I can see myself in the mirror. I'm not completely blind. Okay, admittedly, I'm halfway to catatonic right now, but I'm pretty sure that's a funhouse mirror. Look, see how I'm all round and wobbly? A funhouse mirror? Come on. If we hurry, we can get home in time to take the boys for pizza at Shotgun Sam's. What's your hurry all of a sudden? I think we ought to at least take a few minutes to try out that big bed. That big clown bed? That's the one. Really? You're up for it? Oddly enough, I am up for it. Oh. Oh, well, I guess you are. <laughs> <laughs> now, come over here. Oh, I love it when you're all manly. And I love it when you're all you. Oh, Ted. Mm. <laughs> oh, well, hello there. Hello yourself, you sexy clown, you. Well, that's quite a change <laughs> of heart. It's working for you? It kind of is. <laughs> I wonder if we figured out how to flip this thing into some sort of fetish. One way to find out. Oh. Oh. Oh, oh. oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's definitely flipping. <laughs> oh. 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 What the hell? Ted, what is that? I don't know. But if this is their idea of a vibrating bed, then that is serious... Tell me you see that. Uh-huh. I do. The clown? The one in the big painting? He's laughing. Now the other one. Where? That one? No, the other one. The other, other one. Oh, my. Was he waving before? You know full well he was not. Is it just me, or are they all getting bigger? Or closer? Oh, my God. They're, they're, they're climbing out of the frames. Do something! Clowns don't have teeth like that. This is all in my head. This is not in your head, baby. What the hell are you two done? Buddy? God damn it. Take these. What the hell are these? Seltzer. Holy seltzer. Holy seltzer? Long story. No time. Hit them. told you to. No funny business. What the hell was... What's that on your face? 
Why are you made up like Put that? down the seltzer bottle. I will take it off when I'm good. Be gone, evil clown spawn! Oh. I guess you're all right then. Sorry. There's a stack of these towels right behind you. And you might... You might want to put on some more clothes. Uh, yes. I might well want to. I'm sure it's none of my business, but, um... Uh, the hell will you two It's do? personal. I understand that. What I... goes on between two consenting adults in the privacy of their own... Oh, never mind me. What the hell is wrong with you? Why would you put such a horrifying freak show into somebody's private room? Everything okay? Any other breach? What are you talking about? You'll have to excuse Earl. He's got no tongue. Cut it out 20 years ago in an ill-advised attempt to stop himself from laughing. Excuse me! Now, I'll admit, I have no idea how you pulled this stunt off, but it is not appropriate! This is supposed to be a motel, not some sick sort of haunted house. We were having a private moment. Your private moment just kicked off an invasion from another dimension. Who the hell has relations in a clown motel? It's a long story. Never mind, Missy. Why don't you and it's your... Susan. All right, Susan. You and your... Ted. You and Ted here get those frames off the wall and you break them. Bust them to bits and throw them on the bed. Why? Well, you see, if just one of them things finds a way through, they'll just keep coming. On and on, just as long as they think it's funny. Maybe longer. This is ludicrous. You actually expect us to believe that those clowns They are, are not clowns. Not in the way you think of them. They're worse. Uh, excuse me, uh, buddy. Why is the clown bed smiling? And why is it suddenly just a big clown? Earl, get back. Earl! Oh, my God! It's holding him on its lap like a... Like a... Ventriloquist dummy. What's he saying? Kill me. Well, that's not very funny, but okay. Oh, you think that's funny? I'll show you funny! That's enough. That's enough! Put it out before the whole place goes up. Oh, Earl. Sorry, buddy. You were a good soldier. Is that it? We got them? Oh, there's more. There's always more. What was that? Come on, we better try to get some backup before this thing gets out of hand. Let's get to the office. You're sure it's safe in here? As I can be. After the last time, we had it blessed by every sort of holy man on the planet. You saw what happened with the seltzer. They won't come in here. What are those things? Demons, hell beasts, aliens from another dimension, who knows? The good news is most of them are the dumb ones, followers. It's the ones with the white faces you gotta watch out for, the big ones. Like that one that got Earl, the white faces are bad news. Boss clowns, like in the circus. I guess. We beat back a bunch of them close to 20 years ago. Me and Earl been standing watch ever since. And you never changed the decor? Excuse me? 
Maybe if it wasn't the Clown Motel, they might just go away. I wish. The Clown Motel, the real one, is in Tonopa, Nevada. It's weird. Creepy or, I guess, quirky if you're into that sort of thing. This here is a regular motel. Well, it was once. So the balloons, the decor, you mean that's because they're... Pushing through. Working their way into our reality. I figured we had another five, ten years before they'd break through, but then I didn't count on you two. We had a really good reason. Yeah, this is Buddy out at the Clown Motel. You, you better put me through to Sheriff Roland. We had an incident. Turns out this thing that keeps showing up, the thing that hired Bill, kept the law firm afloat, it's an actual, in the flesh, deus ex machina. A real one. Only now, he's one too. A what? Deus ex machina. You know. I don't. Some kind of tropical bird? <sighs> Dillard, do you read anything but the TV guide? Sheriff? Sheriff, we got a call from Buddy Carlin out at the Clown Motel. Jesus Christ on a Ritz. Put him through. Jane? Jane, darling, I need you. Buddy, I remind you, I am on the clock. It's Sheriff Roland. Sheriff, we got a situation. Is that what you call it? 20 years of giving me the runaround, putting me off, wasting your life away waiting for an invasion that is never coming. It's here, Jane. They're back. We got a full-on code white. You're joking. I don't joke. Hold tight, buddy. I'm on my way. Be sure and bring the big guns. This ain't my first circus. Rolling out. Um, Sheriff, I believe the clown motel is that way. We gotta swing by the S-Mart en route. Also, reach down there under the seat. There ought to be a box under it. My mail-order vestal robes. Yep, here it is. So, are, are you some kind of priest? Multi-denominational officiant. God bless the internet. Really? And hearing you think in this here county. You do weddings? Christenings? Something like that. Dillard, looks like you're going to see some action on your first day. You got a sense of humor, son? Yes, ma'am. That's unfortunate. That is highly unfortunate. You got any weapons in here? Nothing to speak of. More seltzer? That was the last of it. Crosses, silver bullets. None of that works. It needs to be clown stuff. Holy clown stuff. I don't believe it. Don't matter what you believe. It works. Besides, there's always the failsafe. Failsafe? 32 canisters of propane in the back room, sitting on top of a metric ton of chemically enhanced fertilizer. Jesus. Well, that's a worst-case scenario. Besides, we blow this place up. We don't know. Hell, we might just be kicking open the door and laying out the welcome mat. Sheriff Roland will bring weapons. Until then, we wait. We're safe in here. And they're bound within the walls of this motel so long as the one who opened the barrier is still standing. So they... they're going to kill me and Susan? No. The one who first opened it. That was me. Twenty years ago. How? Trying to impress a girlfriend. I was a funny guy. Started reading to her from this old... old... I mean ancient book I'd picked up at a yard sale. A book that I thought was merely a collection of long-forgotten practical jokes. Jesus, I hope they were funny. Dad! Laugh your ass off, man. You hear that? I don't hear nothing. Exactly. Son, what's it look like out there? Anything moving? What do you mean? The dolls. All the dolls on the front counter. Are they still there? 
You mean the ones over by the... The ones that were over by... Oh, God. Wait. You hear that? Where's it coming from? My desk. Hold on. I got a gun in this other... No! Don't open it! Ah, stupid, stupid. One gets through They just keep on coming. Just Just as as long as as they think it's funny. funny. Just keep coming. One after the other. How do they all fit in that drawer? God damn it. Help me close it. I thought you said they couldn't come in here. They shouldn't be able to. We should be safe. No, look. You were right. That they're starting to smoke. They're catching fire. They're catching fire. Oh, God. They're catching fire. There's nowhere to go. We're trapped. Susan, grab the fire extinguisher, Ted. You and me stomp out these little kamikaze clowns. Ted! He's clown phobic. It's up to you and me. There's always a boss clown. Keep your eyes open. He's right behind me, isn't he? Oh, my God. It's the one from the lobby. He's five times as big as before. That's conservative. Ted, slowly move away from the door. Did you bless the glass in the door? Can't say we did, son. Of course he didn't. Dad, no! Buddy, buddy, let me go! He's dead now. Whatever you do, don't watch. Dad! You bastard! He'd have killed you too. Believe it. Don't look at it. Come on, come on, come on back over here. Oh God, it's my fault. It's all my fault. Don't matter. We gotta beat these things. But why? Why would they do that? It's not enough that that thing killed him. He had to mutilate him, too. Break him. Twist him around so he looks like he's all knotted or... (laughs) Poodle. (laughs) He's a poodle. Don't you see? (laughs) The boss clown just twisted him up like a big old balloon animal. (laughs) Now that's a new one. (laughs) That is not... Funny. It's sick. I know. I know. But I, I, I can't help it. I, I haven't laughed in a, in almost twenty years. <laughs> and now, and now, I'm... buddy, you said not to laugh. You said not to laugh. Oh, it's no big deal. You just turn into one of them. Oh God. Yeah! I gotta hold on. Dang it. It's just so hard not to. Fight it, buddy. You'll be okay. Okay? Look at these shoes. They're enormous. It's not that funny. But it is. After 20 years, everything is goddamn hilarious. So you miss your boyfriend, huh? You ready to join him? Wanna be a poodle? A silly hat? How about a, a nice, pretty flower? <laughs> Hands in the air. No funny moves. Look at the size of that clown. Is it dead? Reckon it is. Burn it to make sure. Buddy? Buddy, where are you? What's the situation? Miss? Are you... Or are you not a clown? It's complicated. That's good enough for me. Wait. Don't move. Is that another one? Oh, 
buddy. They got him. He laughed. <laughs> I'm sorry, darling. I'm holding on, but hanging by a thread. <laughs> oh, buddy. We never can catch a break, can we? You were right. They came back. I don't care who was right. Oh, I missed you, darling. No time for that now. Watch out, there must be hundreds of little ones around here. Reckon they're afraid of me. You bring the seltzer? Two cases, plus this here tank of highly holy helium, and a little surprise. Dillard? Is that... <laughs> banana cream? Freshly blessed. Oh, my favorite! <laughs> Got a gross of them in the trunk. Your nose! He's changing! I, I don't have long! Then come here, you big idiot! You better hit me. Quick! I feel really funny. funny. We'll do. See in the funny papers. He's gone. Released. But he's still gone. Buddy said if anything happened to him... The clowns would be able to break through. That is unfortunately true. We've got to raise a new barrier and wipe this lousy tourist trap off the face of the planet. Dillard, how's it coming back there? Um, I appear to be surrounded by a bunch of tiny clowns. It's all right. You have the upper hand. Just grab a pie and... Hold on. There's a bigger one in front. He's posing. I think... I think he wants me to smell the flower in his lapel. Do not smell that flower, son. Do not smell... What's happening to the ground beneath the car? Is that... Is that a sinkhole? That there is a portal into another dimension. They're everywhere. They're tiny hands Son, just run. Anywhere is better than where you are. Oh, God. Just run. Sheriff. Sheriff. No! He's gone. With the car. And every last one of those pies. Damn it. He was a good kid. And on his first day... So everything's gone? We got nothing? I've got this canister of helium. Helium. Holy helium. Take it, hold them off while I lay down a new barrier. Do you have any balloons? I do not. Well, what good is helium without balloons? I don't know. Distract them and keep an eye out for the boss clown. Uh, I think I found him. It's, uh, it's the motel. It's not a motel any longer. It's his head. It's the boss clown's head. We'd better lock this thing down now. Hold them back. Hey, little fellas. Y'all sure do have a lot of teeth. Oh, you see this helium, huh? You like this? That's it? Well, what about this? Pretty good, huh? Pretty funny. You want some? Come and get it. Follow me. Come on. Time for a clown parade. There's plenty for everyone. You get helium. And you get helium. And you get helium. Yes! That's it. That should hold. Now we just gotta deal with the stragglers. And the giant boss clown whose head we're inside right now. Please lay off the helium. I am trying not to laugh here. Wait a tick. 
That don't smell like helium. That's because it ain't helium. The propane. From downstairs. But it's fail safe. Looks like the joke's on them. Run! Before we go. Any of you clowns got a light? See you in the funny papers. Well, Susan, how about we see you again on the 22nd, uh, 9 o'clock? That sounds good, Mary. And Susan, I I know I've told you, but we're all so sorry about your loss. It's a miracle you and Sheriff Roland survived. I suppose it was. Ted was a fine young man, and I think everyone in town thought y'all had a real bright future. So sad. We we just hope you and the boys are truly doing okay, and if there's anything that you need, you just let us know. Well, he died as he lived, terrified of clowns. At least I have a little something to remember him by. Speaking of which... Yes, Dr. Hanlon? Here's the latest picture from the ultrasound. This is the best one. Aww. So he's okay then? 100% perfectly normal. We'll see you in a month. On the 22nd at 9 a.m. You get plenty of rest. Lay off the java. I will, doctor. Thank you. Goodbye, Mary. Bye now. Mary, do me a favor and call that tech in Castle Rock. I need him to take a look at the ultrasound machine. What's wrong with it? Just the audio. I could see the heartbeat good and strong, but when I tried to listen, it sounded like there were a hundred of them in there. More, maybe. Hmm. Maybe some sort of interference? Probably. Radio, sunspots, who knows? Heck, at one point I could have sworn I heard a calliope. (laughs) (laughs) Comedian Stephen Wright once joked that he'd gone to a clown funeral and all the mourners showed up in the same car. If all goes well with Susan Pasternak's unexpected pregnancy, well, let's just say I hope they're ready to hand out a whole bunch of cigars. And that was Coolrophobia from Uncanny County. We'll have our interview with show creators Allison and Todd just after this break. We'll be right back. Welcome back, revivalists! I had the pleasure of talking with Allison Crane and Todd Faulkner, two of the minds behind Uncanny County, just a few short weeks ago. We talk about stage productions, writing techniques, and what it is that makes Oklahoma just so damn weird. You'll also hear something Allison has never told anyone before. Ooh. Give it a listen. Allison and Todd, thank you very much. Welcome to Radio Drama Revival. Thank you for having us. We're very happy to be here. So, Todd, uh, Allison and I were talking while you were setting up about how she lives in Astoria. You live in Manhattan, correct? Yes, that's true. But neither of you are from New York originally. You're both from the Oklahoma City area. Yep. Um, And earlier, we were talking about how, Todd, you're from Edmond, Oklahoma. Yes, true. And Allison, you're from um, Oklahoma City. Yes. They're very close. Edmond's basically a suburb of Oklahoma City. It's just kind of on the north side of it. But is it kind of a Tony suburb? Is that what we were getting at? Uh, a, what kind of suburb? Oh, sorry. Is it is it kind of like a a, a posh suburb? Yeah, it, it certainly has that reputation. Um, I assume it is still that way. It certainly was when I was in school. I was kind of, uh, you know, probably on the, the, the lower income side of those who lived in Edmond. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah, there was, a, there was a lot of money in that town. And, you know, it, it was good for the schools because it fed into the arts programs and creative writing and, you know, even 
the beginning days of video production and uh, it shows you how long ago it was. And, you know, theater in particular, we put on very large-scale productions and things like that. Mm -hmm. So there, there were certainly some advantages to being there, for sure. And Allison, you grew up in OKC? I did. I want to hear about where you both grew up, because Uncanny County seems to really be about the weirdness of the place. Uh, and Allison and Todd, you have both said in other interviews that there's a kind of embodied contradiction in... Oklahoma as a place. I've never been to Oklahoma, so if you could, if you could enlighten me and enlighten the listeners about what that means, what what it feels like to be an Oklahoman, and what some of the weirdness of it is. Uh, Todd, <laughs> you wanna... <laughs> that just sounds like a very big question. Yeah, okay, okay. Let's, let's narrow it. Let's narrow it. Um, so, Allison, you've you've said that there are a lot of embodied contradictions in Oklahoma, in that it's like really really homey, but also extremely dangerous because it's in the middle of Tornado Alley. Yeah. What What are some other contradictions of that place? Um. Yeah. Well, like like you mentioned, the weather is apocalyptic at times. Um. So you know, while there's a at least for me, having grown up there, there's a sense of comfort and coziness. There's also this sense of awe, um, you know, because tornadoes are a regular occurrence. And mm -hmm. now apparently earthquakes are a thing. <laughs> they they were not when we were growing up. Um, that is a something that has started in the last several years um, related to fracking. But um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, but also, um, just kind of contradictions in the, in the people, you know, um, it's a very conservative state, very religious, and yet you can also meet, you know, there are also some of the most, you know, liberal, creative people there, um, that I know, you know, you'll find people that harbor very strong judgments about things and people, hmm. but will still give you the shirt off their back. Sure. And that goes in, that goes in both directions. We don't, yeah, mean that in the sense of right, right, right. People, you know, conservatives judging against liberals. It could be liberals. It's whatever. It's true. But there, there is a real strong sense of community. Absolutely, of community. Yeah, but it's a very religious area, and you know, I, I would be remiss not to mention that. I mean, that is one of the things that the state, you know, and the, the people there do take a great pride in, and yet there is still a certain mysticism at the fringes, you know. As I'd mentioned before, as a kid growing up in the 70s, you know, you, you half expected to see Bigfoot walking across your backyard. Sure. Yeah, you've both said in interviews, uh, I don't remember which one of you said this, but growing up in Oklahoma gives you a mind that's open to extreme possibilities. I think whichever of us said that, I, I, I still agree with that. Uh, <laughs> I think it was Allison. <laughs> probably because that's an X-Files reference. Oh, so is it? it? Okay. It was probably me. <laughs> So Uncanny County is kind of this this confluence of the your two particular styles. And tell me if this is a mischaracterization, but it seems like, Todd, you're more the horror movie buff, and Allison, you're more the weird paranormal buff. Like, you're more Twin Peaks and X-Files, and Todd, you're more traditional slasher horror? Or what? Where where do your genre preferences go? I would say more supernatural horror. Uh, I you know, enjoy a decent slasher film, but I'm much more grounded in the, uh, you know, Sam Raimi, John Carpenter. Um, I mean, of course, Halloween is a slasher film, but there is a supernatural element to it. Uh, but I was thinking more of the thing, you know, the big extreme evil dead. I, I like my horror 
big and apocalyptic. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good characterization. There's certainly some overlap. Sure. Uh, I also love the X-Files and Twin Peaks and all that, and that influences me from time to time. But yeah, I'm much more the – I'm the guy who will pull the obscure horror reference and sneak it into the script somewhere. So you're more like H.P. Lovecraft. Allison is more David Lynch. Yes, I am David that's, Yeah, that's that's <laughs> definitely a fair comparison. Sure. Okay. And Stephen King. Stephen King's huge for me. Cool. Let's let's go back to the beginnings of this project. So So before this – um, the two of you have both been working artists in New York for a while. Uh, Todd, you and your wife co-wrote and you produced um, Exorcist's Local 667, a web series about an objectivist uh, exorcist named Edwin Lang. Um, and Allison, you did – you've done a couple things for the New York Fringe. Uh, mm-hmm. I just – thank you for sending along the script um, to the abduction of Becky Morris. I want to talk about that later. Um, but the both of you were doing independent creative pieces. Uh, and, and could you uh, – Give a quick gloss of the the plot of the abduction of Becky Morris. Oh, um, it is about an Oklahoma State trooper's wife who is pregnant and starts having these crazy dreams about a boy she went to high school with who was a little bit obsessed with her. She becomes obsessed with him and and with finding him and ends up going on kind of a, a crazy journey. She's having kind of a crisis you know, getting ready to have a baby. Her life is mm-hmm. changing. And um, I don't know, I don't want to give away too much, but yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> so how how did the, I understand that the two of you were united by a Doctor Who ringtone. Can we go into that story? <laughs> well, that's the funny thing, because we grew up in, you know, both in the Oklahoma City area. Uh, I'm a few years older than Allison, about, I think, I don't, I don't know exactly, five to ten, we'll say. <laughs> and... Uh, we had never met, uh, came up, you know, just slightly different times. I think she started getting involved in the scene about the time I moved on to uh, Chicago and then Dallas and then ultimately New York. But one day um, she was doing a show up here, I believe, with a friend of mine um, who I met, a friend from Minnesota, who's also one of the producers of Uncanny County, Bill Frankie, William Frankie. Mm-hmm. And... Um, she had mentioned she wanted a Doctor Who ringtone, and just coincidentally, Bill had heard the other day, I was like, oh, I made a Doctor Who ringtone, <laughs> because that's the kind of thing I talk about. Do you still have that ringtone? Oh, yeah. I, what I is think the I ringtone? Have, it's, it's just the... <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, I think I have a few of them, actually. I, that's the kind of geeky thing I do for fun. But anyway, he got us in touch, and we you know, looked on Facebook, and we're just like, oh, my God, we know all the same people from Oklahoma, <laughs> and started chatting, and... You know, talked about working together for a while. I had seen both of her friend shows and, you know, was immediately a fan. And Mm -hmm. uh, it took us a while. But um, eventually, Allison was like, all right, we're doing this and started, you know, kind of a group collective, uh, which she was calling Route 66 Rodeo. Mm -hmm. And that led to us writing some one acts. Do you want to tell them about that? Oh, yeah. Um, So I think Todd and I are both really interested in Americana. And mm-hmm. um, I thought it would be uh, as a way to keep the theater company that we started, you know, working and doing stuff. I thought we could have a series of readings of one acts that we would write. And I 
we, I wanted the one X to be inspired by American roadside attractions. Okay. And so we had a reading at Christmas time of, was it three or four? Three. Three Christmas. And it was, and it was actually, it was actually Yumi and Bill. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, um, three Christmas pieces inspired by American roadside attractions. And our executive producer, Jessica Walker is, um, my best friend from the second grade. Mm-hmm. I saw that. <laughs> also from Oklahoma. Yeah, and she's um, she's in finance, and she um, just was really a fan of our work. And after hearing the Christmas plays, she said, "You guys need to do these as a podcast. They need to be a podcast." And we were like, "Huh." <laughs> We've been kind of brainstorming about other things we might want to do, and one of the things that had come up was like kind of a Oklahoma Southwestern Twilight Zone thing. Mm-hmm. And at some point in one of the meetings, we realized that that and the podcast were probably the same thing. Mm-hmm. Sure. And we put those together and never looked back. I want to go back for a second and and define Americana for our overseas listeners or, or people that just aren't familiar with like mid-century car culture or what that mm-hmm. or what that means, right? Or or people that have never been to the part of the country that the three of us are ultimately from. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the great, fascinating, wonderful middle. What, what is Americana? And what is what is the weirdness of that Americana that you've chosen to focus on? Well, Route six, the old Route 66 runs right through Oklahoma. So I think that that is a big inspiration because, you know, the, I, I'm totally enamored by the old Route 66. And so much of it is gone now. But like the you know, the quirky roadside attractions, the strange little motels. Um, mm-hmm. My dream, my dream is to stay in one of the remaining wigwam motels. I'll be happy. <laughs> like, <laughs> what is a wigwam motel? Oh, well, our December episode, you'll, you'll find out. Yeah. Oh yeah. boy. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so listeners will have heard by the time uh, when, when they're hearing this interview, they'll have heard cool rophobia. I want to run that in the mm-hmm. first half of the episode. Um, is the Clown Motel based on a real place in Oklahoma? It is. Actually, when... Not in Oklahoma, though. Not yeah, Right, not in Oklahoma. But there is actually a real Clown Motel. It's in Tonopah, Nevada. Okay. Um, if that's not creepy enough, a Clown Motel in the middle of the desert, and obviously it's not creepy to everyone, it's creepy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's right next to an ancient creepy cemetery. And uh, it's just... I, I Somebody apparently recently wrote a book a journalist went in there and lived there for a month and wrote a, a book, you know, hoping he survived a month in the Clown Hotel. And I'm dying to read it. Um, but, yeah, it, it's a real place. And uh, when Allison started the idea of doing the one acts, that was the first idea I had was to do something about that. And what I came up with was this weird little sort of romantic comedy thing that happened there um, in this weird backdrop. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't quite make it work initially, and I ended up doing a totally different story for the uh, – the reading. But when we went to Uncanny County and started going into that direction, I thought, you know what? If I just do this, maybe my little romantic comedy thing is the first five, ten minutes, and the rest of it is actually the story. And that's it. I kind of, the, the, the first few minutes, um, you know, where they are trying to conquer his fear of clowns by you know, <laughs> getting it on in the clown motel, uh, that was kind of the original story. It went in a very different direction uh, in my original idea. Sure. Uh, but basically up to the point where the portal is opened uh, before they actually get down to business uh, was the original story idea. And then, it, you know, I took it into my weird uh, brain. <laughs> so so you've got you've got the writing credit on that episode, but it sounds mm-hmm. like the writing process is a lot more collaborative. It's not just like Todd takes the script and then it's done. What what is the writing process look like for an episode of Uncanny County? 
depends on the episode, but generally what we do, uh, you know, we'll draft it. We come up with a, a first draft, and, you know, Allison's and my first drafts are really, you know, and Nicole, my wife, who is also a writer on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really about a probably a fifth or sixth draft a lot of the time. We're, you know, quite okay. meticulous and really try to bring in a finished product when we can. We bring it to the, t- you know, a round table. We either send it around and let everybody read it, or we actually pull some of our favorite actors in and kind of read it out loud. That helps us a lot to see what's really landing um, orally as well as just, you know, what we see on the page. Make sure we're really telling the story with just sound. Um, and then, you know, we sit around and the writers trade notes and thoughts, and we don't always agree, but uh, it kind of steers us into a position on a rewrite where then we go, we tackle it again, we generally bring it in for another reading, uh, and usually by then we're pretty close to go. Cool. Some take longer than others, some take more passes. Cooler Phobia came out and was pretty close to <laughs> the finished product the first time, because I think everyone was scared of clowns and just didn't want to think about it too much. But, uh, mm-hmm. Um, why Why are clowns – is it – so I've never seen it. I've never read it. Is that why Americans are scared of clowns or are clowns just terrifying? Uh, you know, it's the Uncanny Valley effect. It, that's, a, that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And, of course, our name, Uncanny County, comes – you know, is kind of derived from that. You mm-hmm. know, uh, if any of your listeners are not familiar with the Uncanny Valley, what that is is kind of uh, – gosh, I hope I described this right. Um, for example, with like a robot – there is a certain point. Now, if you were picturing on a graph, it's a line going up, and it becomes more and more realistic. And then at a certain point, it becomes so realistic but not real that it's completely disturbing, and that line shoots right back down and is horrifying. I think the Uncanny Valley, if I'm remembering right, is that the y-axis is attraction and the x-axis is similarity to a live human being. Yeah. I think that's right. And so just before you hit, like, the top most point in that graph there's an enormous dip mm-hmm. and at the bottom of that dip is a human corpse that's that's exactly right the thing that is most like a living human but is somehow not so it's completely disturbing to you and that's right and that's the valley and then i guess i guess at some point if you get past the horror of that mm-hmm. it eventually becomes so realistic you can't tell the difference um but yeah i think clowns you know they, they probably fall into that i mean full disclosure i'm not really scared of clowns but i okay. do know some people who are and uh, it's very real. I mean, it, it, you know, I think it's the, it's the white face. It's the, you know, the, the red around the mouth, the exaggerated mouth and eyes. It, it just kind of, it, yeah, it brings out that, I think, I think a certain animated corpse-like, I think in, in some people's, you know, in their lizard brain, mm-hmm. it kind of activates that and it's just involuntary. You know, it's like uh, some people with spiders or, you My know. My thing I, is teeth. In um in one of the episodes of Exorcist's Local, uh, Edwin and Marguerite are walking around New York, and <laughs> just that that ghoul sort of comes up behind them and right, patiently the... waits to be zapped. Oh yeah. God, do I you know like the with the the makeup job so that like it's just nothing but like a huge shark smile. Yeah, that was that was actually my favorite makeup job in that. Uh, yeah, no, it's a great makeup series. job. I just oh, I just hate that so much. I just hate teeth so much. Yeah, and and that's I don't it. Know where it's, it it's, comes from? It's so exaggerated, but it's like it's like normal teeth, except you know, I mean, well, they're pointy, but but yeah, huge and just out mm-hmm. of proportion, and it just it's just disturbing. What informs fears? Like, how much of it is cultural, and how much of it is like lizard brain revulsion? Who, you know, because I think I think some of why we're afraid of clowns is partially because it, they, you know, the, the white 
grease paint makes him look kind of like a, a dried up corpse. But also, partially, it's because we've been taught, at least I've been taught, that clowns are spooky. Right. Mm-hmm. So what to what extent do you believe that fear is cultural? Uh, and to what extent is it just an innate human response to stimuli? Oh, I'm not a psychologist, but um, you're not. Not yet. That's that's it. That's season it. two. Season two. But I would say I would say as writers, you both kind of plumb the depths of the human psyche to determine what's scary and what's funny. I yeah. I mean, I I think it's both. I mean, I think it's uh, to what extent I I certainly couldn't say. But mm-hmm. you know, like I said, I'm not scared of clowns. I've been told my whole life they're scary, but they don't scare me. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. So I think. I don't have that lizard brain response to a clown. Never have. Never found him scary as a kid. Sure. Um, maybe that means there's something wrong with me. That's entirely possible. Well, I don't. Um, I don't think that it's like an innate thing to be afraid of clowns. Right. Well, Allison, what were you going to say? Well, I think that people have a lot of the same fears, which may be innate, but those innate fears manifest differently based on the culture that you're in. Mm-hmm. So, for example. You know that anxiety dream that you have where, like, you're taking a test and you're not prepared for it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that. that's a very common dream. Um, however, there is a specific variation of that dream that actors have. It's right, okay. where you show up for a play and you've never learned your lines or you don't have a mm-hmm. costume. So right. it's, it's They're throwing you on stage to do the play and you have no idea what's going to happen. Exactly. So instead right. of having the test-taking dream, actors have... That particular dream, mm-hmm. but it's manifesting the same fears. Like you're you're having anxiety about something, and your brain is is acting out that anxiety in a symbolic way. So you may be really afraid of something, and those fears, you know, clowns may be the embodiment of those fears for you. Or if you're Todd, you know, something else may be the embodiment of those things because you're not. Clowns, clowns aren't that thing. Right. With me, it's deadlines. That's <laughs> No, I, I think that's right. I mean, I think that, you know, they're, they're certainly shaped by society. I mean, myself, I don't, I don't really have any classic traditional phobia phobias. I mean, you know, I don't like heights. I get uncomfortable up there. Maybe I have that sure. a little bit. But uh, I have day-to-day neuroticisms that, you know, if, if I let them run, I can just lose my mind with worry and with, you know – Imagining the worst possible things going to happen if my, you know, kid babysitter is five minutes late coming back from the park. You know, really just irrational fears. We're talking completely irrational. And I do find ways to kind of channel that into the writing. And uh, for whatever reason, making these completely irrational things reality and coming up with what the worst thing that could happen in that kind of a situation, the other ones kind of go away, which is kind of interesting how it's therapeutic to create these horrifying monsters so that you know i can (laughs) i don't know sleep better at night that's cool i wanted to ask you how being a parent has influenced um your writing or your art specifically because i noticed um nicole wrote mother loves you right Mm -hmm. yep which for those of you that haven't heard it uh, should we i mean should we give the game away the twist comes in the first minute or two right I would say she finds a way to kind of run her children's lives. Yes, the main the main character. And and not just in the moment but potentially their whole lives. And yeah, that's the, I, I think I I assume where you're you're going with this is uh I think that absolutely came out of her experience as a mother and mm-hmm. and seeing people 
try to be that helicopter mom and, and her trying to avoid it and, you know, let our son just be who he is and do his own thing and make his own mistakes. I've noticed there's a pretty there's there's a lot of like real dark satire, especially in that episode with the mm-hmm. um the death penalty reveal at the end. Yeah, yeah. That was just like a oh boy. Uh, <laughs> listeners, I cannot wait for you to listen to this episode. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering has dadhood similarly influenced the way that you approach writing kids? Huh. Um I mean, how old how old is your son? Uh he's 6. Okay. Uh and you know, I'm just trying to think. I don't think I've really touched on anything with that as of yet so i i couldn't i couldn't say i can tell you how it's affected me as a someone who has grown up absolutely loving horror films Mm -hmm. okay and loving to read those things is that you know uh have you seen the movie the mist i have not but i've been hearing about it for forever because apparently it's got like an incredible audio adaptation uh i you know i've heard that too but i haven't heard it and i i thank you for reminding me i'd like to check that out um the the novella is great, and it kind of ends in this great, ambiguous thing that is quite wonderful. When they made the film, they're like, you know what? We need something more than that. Mm-hmm. And Frank Darabont came up with an ending, and King was like, oh, my God, that's just – apparently he, he loved it more than what he came up with. And it's dark. I mean, it's dark, 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 dark. And when I was – when I saw this thing when it came out, you know, 10 years ago or however long it was, uh, I loved it, and I thought it was brilliant and dark and horrible. I can – now that I'm a father, I can't watch it. Oh. I can't watch the ending. I can't watch that movie. Is again. the ending of that the main character kills his wife and kids because he thinks the mist is coming? That's, and then that's it. Yep, I can't. And then watch it clears, it. and he, they would have been saved if he had. They would have been them. fine. That's exactly right. And I oh. can't. I can't watch that. Yeah. And you know, so I don't know. I mean, perhaps it makes me uh, a little easier on my the, the characters that are children. Um, mm-hmm. I do have a couple of stories in the pipeline that I think could be influenced by that. But yeah, I think. I think. Where it's really opened me up as a writer is really feeling, and I, and I think hopefully getting across on the page and in the piece, the fear of loss okay. and the, the sense of just hope and, and those things that I think have influenced my life a lot more now that I have a kid. Uh, interesting dichotomy, but it's like I, I think I'm a lot more hopeful individual. Okay. But again, because of my brain working the way it does, I fear the worst and I, I have these, you know, you think about these horrible things happening. I think I saw somewhere that your dad was a, a state trooper or a law enforcement official, some kind. Uh, in Oklahoma. He, he, when I was real young, he worked for the sheriff's office, uh, okay. and then he became a detective for the local police force in Edmond. Ultimately, the, he was the assistant chief for a while, and then he went back to being a detective. And then he just got into business, and now he's, uh, you know, totally doing other stuff. But yeah, he was a policeman for a while. Did you ever do ride-alongs with your dad? Uh, no, I'm well. He he wasn't really a patrolman, okay. So that that in itself wasn't really an option. I did get to go with him around a lot when I was very young. I don't really remember a lot of it, um, but you know, obviously nowhere where there would be any sort of danger. But I would get to go hang out with him at the station and things like that from time to time. Because there's a there's a lot of uh, of law enforcement stuff in Uncanny mm-hmm. County. Like Sheriff mm-hmm. Roland and her deputies show up a lot. Yeah. Um, although it seems to be a different deputy each time because it always something terrible always happens to the deputy. Is um, is it a different deputy? <laughs> it's always his first day. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but we're, we're playing a little long game with you, uh, but yeah. sure. Oh, that's right, because you, you'd said that there's kind of like a continuity thing that you're playing with, right? Like well, the whole universe could end, yeah, and Sheriff Roland could die, and then you roll it back. That's right. Any of the, we have recurring characters. Um, at this point, really, it's just Sheriff Roland and 
uh, Deputy Dillard. And there's a reference to Bill, right, being a Deus Ex Machina. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, he's referenced. Bill. He's referenced yeah. in a couple. He says, "Yeah, exactly." He hasn't appeared again, although he may. Now that we have a Deus Ex Machina in our pocket, if we run into write ourselves into any corners, hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we we do refer to uh, there are Easter eggs throughout where you know it is somewhat of a shared universe. Okay. But by the same token, it uh, yeah, we, we, what we've told our writers is it's all. A shared universe, but if your story dictates that the world ends, then the world ends. Okay. It can start again next episode. Doesn't matter. It kind of gets down to this new thing I've read about in conspiracy web, you know, the dark corners of the web. There's a thing people talk about now called the Mandela effect. Okay. And it refers to the fact that, like, this author had kind of come up with this realization that so many people she knew were convinced that Nelson Mandela had died in prison in the 80s. Okay. And yet that he hadn't. And then that there are all these other kind of things where the collective consciousness believes something, but it's really not what happened. And it kind of gets into seeds of time travel. And, uh, you know, perhaps there are time travelers and they're going back and changing things, but there are remnants left behind. I see. like that. So I'm not saying that's what we're doing with Uncanny County, but that's one explanation. Gotcha. So it's not that people are confusing Steve Biko for Nelson Mandela. It's that there is a universe in which Nelson Mandela died in prison and someone went back from the future to fix it. And we're still seeing those ripples. That is that is the theory. That is uh, one of the things they thought they were going to incorporate into the new Ghostbusters film, which if you haven't seen it, it's great. It's really fun. I haven't seen it. I really want to see it. You, you got to see it just as its own thing. Okay. It's, it's terrific. They did a great job. And I'm a huge fan of the original. There's no bigger fan of the original than me. Other than maybe Dan Aykroyd. Doesn't it, doesn't it suck that we all have to occupy these like defensive crouches that you have to try and preserve your geek cred in order to both defend the original and this new one just because it has women in it? Yeah. Like there's just such a – Yeah. Such a shitstorm. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. It's, it's unfortunate, you know, because yeah. – I mean here's the thing. Uh, you know, I, I have a couple friends who – they're terrific. They're – you know, these are guys, they're feminists, they're, they're in fact, you know, they may have a, a kid who's a girl, they may have, you know, whatever. But for whatever reason, they're having trouble getting past this movie and wanting to go see it because of that. And what I'm telling him is, you know, I mean, to me, it's like they say it, it was an unnecessary remake. Okay, well, fine, but they're going to remake it anyway because it's Hollywood and there's money on the table. Mm -hmm. So they're going to remake it. Why don't we be happy that they remade it in a way that now a little girl can watch that and go, oh, that's awesome. These are women being cool, doing cool things. Right. And uh, it is it is awesome. I mean, you know, what was the most awesome to me and to my wife is, you know, we left. We took uh, Griff and a couple of his friends to go see it. And, you know, after we left, the three boys are running around playing Ghostbusters. And that's what they know. That's their sure. movie now. And Why it's, it's awesome. Why not? It doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter. But you're right. We're in this weird uh, time where it, it y you have to defend it. It's Internet culture. It's sad. Is it true that Nicole is the voice of both the Bronx and Central Park zoos? <laughs> yes, it is. Could you um, tell me I, about that? I Well, she worked for the Central Park Zoo for years, for the Wildlife Conservation Society. But initially, the theater program was based out of the Central Park Zoo. You know, I, I'm not sure exactly what you're referring to, the Central Park Zoo, but I know there are some things she's recorded for them. But, yeah, she's the voice of the monorail out there in the Bronx. Um, she's done voice work for them for years. She's done several... You know, like narrations of big, big films they'll show. Uh, 
one was about the whales, I think. And, That's so fun. Uh, but yeah, she's you know she's just wonderful. She's got such an even, great, knowledgeable voice, and you know she's such a obviously intelligent presence. She, she's just very well suited uh, to that sort of thing as well as creating incredible fiction and great acting and characters and all that. But yeah, she's uh, uh, got her roots in uh, conservation as well. That's fabulous. All right, let's go back to prison, or the subject of prison. <laughs> let's go to prison. Let's go to prison. Todd and Allison and David go to prison. Um, <laughs> so there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of law enforcement stuff. There's a lot of prison stuff going mm-hmm. on in these stories. Can can we talk about where that where that comes from? I guess the pri- the prison stuff is mine, isn't it? Yeah, you're yeah, the because <laughs> you were, did you write uh, irreconcilable differences? Yes, yes, I yeah. did. Yes. So that's that's about a, a prison romance between a man on the inside and a woman on the outside, and it swiftly gets complicated in a supernatural way. Yes. I don't know where that comes from. I mean, the abduction of Becky Morris is all about someone in prison. Right. There's a lot of themes of, like, Oklahoma State penitentiaries <laughs> in your work. Well, I think, I mean, to me, it's always seemed indicative of, uh, you know, it's symbolic of the repression yeah. that the characters are feeling. I think that's a lot of it. What Todd said. Um, <laughs> well, that, Sometimes it takes an outside eye. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I do. I do write about that a lot. And and it is a common theme in, in a lot of my work. And I guess there's an outsider element to it. Um, when I write people in prison, they're almost always innocent or not as guilty as, as mm-hmm. um, one thought. So I write about outsiders a lot because I... They're interesting to me. And I think that's part of it is the people in, you know, the prison, they're misunderstood in my stories. And uh, also, I'm really, really fascinated by women who fall in love with men in prison. That's just a fascinating psychological yeah. thing to me. I just... Uh, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, I... Because it begins... So so irreconcilable differences begins with a, a marriage between mm-hmm. the inmate and this woman on the outside. Was that influenced by the woman that uh, married Charles Manson a couple years ago? Uh, no. Or just... There's a whole history of that. Yeah, right? there's just... A, there's, there's... It's so common. It's so it's, common. It's a thing. It's a thing for women to seek out men in prison and... And I think some of it is, and I played with this in Irreconcilable Differences, mm-hmm. is that you know where they are. <laughs> okay. You know what? You just, you always know where they are. <laughs> um, but then, you know, I, th- I think there's just a, a whole bunch of interesting psychology um, behind that. And uh, I just, it, it fascinates me. Um, so I kind of wanted to, to write, to write something about that in that case and, and um, and the abduction of Becky Morris, the prison thing was it was actually is actually based on a true thing that happened to me. So, um, oh, yeah, please, uh, if you're comfortable with it, let's let's talk about that. Um, the um, so the character in Becky Morris, she's remembering a boy she went to high school with who had a crush on her and followed her around. And it was kind of a borderline stalking situation. Mm-hmm. And then um, years later, has a dream about him and starts to really wants to find out what happened to him and obsessively obsessively research him and when I started the play it was actually many many years ago I had a dream about this boy who had a crush on me in high school and and I wondered what happened to him but this was sort of before this is like in 2000 so that that you know there wasn't Facebook it wasn't quite as you know it wasn't as easy to track somebody down then and I wrote the first two scenes of the play 
And then I just let it be for like 10 years. And then I started thinking about that play again. And then I thought, well, whatever happened to that guy? And I, he wasn't on Facebook. And I was like, well, what kind of person wouldn't be on Facebook? Uh And for, for some reason, like, I just do not ask me why I did this. But I went to the Oklahoma Department of Corrections website. And there he was. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, not, now you know where he is. Now I know where he is. Um, and it was for something, it was for a pretty minor offense. It wasn't what it was in the in the play. But anyway, okay. that just got me started on the play again. And I just cranked it out. It was like, oh, because I had sort of stopped when I was writing it where I was like, I have no idea what's happened to this guy that she's looking for. And then when I got that, it was mm-hmm. like, oh, of course. So that that's also part of the reason I got started researching prisons and things like that and, and why it's become, an, I guess, an interest of mine that's carried through to some other writing. But you never visited him. No. <laughs> much less 14 times. No, I did not. Although, do you know what? Mm. <laughs> I'm saying this on your show. I sent him an anonymous Christmas card. <laughs> did you? <laughs> I did. well it was anonymous it was anonymous it's not now because i felt so terrible about it because i really did feel like i wasn't kind to the guy in high school i didn't Mm -hmm. i i i'm an awkward person and i didn't know how to address that attention and so i kind of ignored him and and just wasn't kind to him and i felt guilty about it for a long time don't i i I don't know why I did it, but I did. <laughs> you didn't spray it with perfume. No, anything, no. Right? <laughs> no, and I, I postmarked, I, I wrote a return address, like from, I don't know, like Alaska or something. It was very, <laughs> it was, I but, but Allison, haven't you lived in Alaska? <laughs> no, no, I, I visited it twice. You visited yeah, it. Yeah. So you've, you've put on, you've put on shows in Alaska. Um, I've right? had readings of two of my plays in the Last Frontier uh, Theater Conference. One of them was Becky Morris. Yeah. Well, the one this year was, was the production of Becky Morris and it was in the, they have a play lab. Sorry, where, where in Alaska was this? Valdez. Valdez. Okay. Yeah. And actually I found out that Alexander from Greater Boston also had a play in the play lab there many years ago. So. Oh, that's fabulous. Very cool. Well, I know. Right. But yeah, I don't know why I did that. <laughs> that's a great story though. <laughs> Did it give you a sense of closure in any way? Do you feel better about it? I think it probably, if he even got it, it probably just confused the poor guy. You Aww. know, so I... Um... As long as you didn't put a nail file in it. I have a, I have a quick question about uh, abduction of Becky Morris. Uh-huh. Um, th- this has nothing to do with radio theater at all. But there's a, there's a bit in the stage direction that's during a dream sequence um, where Becky is handed this the baby in swaddling clothes, and then it turns into an octopus that tries to strangle her. Uh-huh. Um, how how did you do is it a puppet? Uh-huh. How did you do that on we stage? Had an octopus puppet. Okay. And so that you operated? Uh yeah, it was just a hand puppet. So okay. ultimately, because we were doing it in the fringe on no budget, uh-huh. we were like, how do we do this in a way that's doable? And so we got an octopus hand puppet and the Target employee <laughs> mm-hmm. brought brought it out like swaddled up like a baby. Right. So he just so it was actually just a baby sized puppet. And so then he handed it to me and then, you know, the tentacles could just pop out of the baby blanket and strangle strangle myself with my own hand dressed as an octopus. <laughs> that's great. That's that's a question basically just for me. Since nobody listening to this podcast uh, except for you, Todd, right now has read this script. 
<laughs> right. So they're just like, is, what the hell? <laughs> well, but it gives you a, a, an insight into the glamorous life of an actor in New York City. Well, I think strangling I think, yourself with an octopus puppet. Yeah. Because Allison, I think I think you said one of the reasons that you got into podcasting instead of mounting fringe shows was that you spend ten thousand dollars on a fringe show that you know two hundred people see. They're two hundred incredible and influential people, but it's still not a ton of eyeballs. Right. Right. And then it's done. It's over. It's done. I mean, I, I do want more for the plays. Like, I, I'm still working on them. But, you know, it, they're a lot of work. And, um, you know, getting someone else interested in them and, you know, producing them. I mean, it's a big undertaking. And this is a thing where we can, well, we write our work and then we get it out there. And, you know, we've had 60,000 downloads so far of, nice. of what we've written. So it's like, um, it's much more, thank you. thank you. So it's much more, we get our work out to a wider audience and it's much less expensive than, of you know, course. like hiring an octopus from somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there really is no limit because, you know, there is also an octopus uh, in one of the episodes, a giant octopus. That was mine. What, what is it my was deal? yours. What is my you, deal you with have a thing with octopi. <laughs> Um, but of course, you know, you do that with sound and, you know, you, you've got to be a little creative and spend a little time making it sound right, but you put it in everybody's head and they see it and they see it their own way. And sure, you know, you're not limited. You can do anything. Do either of you know Stan Freeberg? Mm-mm. I'm familiar. Uh, he, he died a couple of years ago. Right. Uh, I actually, before I was the host of this show, I did a retrospective for Fred. And there's a bit that he does where a television executive is asking him, like, radio, why would I want to advertise on radio? And Stan, like, takes him through it. And he says, look, I'm going to drop a 5,000-pound cherry onto, you know, a, a, a mountain of whipped cream, the height of Mount McKinley right. in the middle of Lake Michigan. Classic bit, yeah. And then he does it, you know. And he says, now, you know, see if you could do that on television, right? Well, now, the downside is, though, when you're writing something like Chlorophobia, mm-hmm. And you you have the just, you know, there's no word for it, but idiocy to write a line, something along the lines of they open the drawer and out pops one by one an army of tiny clowns. Because then you have to make that sound. Right. <laughs> and let me tell you, you can't find that on, <laughs> you know, there's nowhere you can just download that. You've got you to gotta build it from the ground up. Yeah, because you designed that episode, right? I did. And that, oh well, boy. You did this. You did that to yourself. You wrote that episode. That's why I said it was idiocy to write something. <laughs> like that. Um, I will purpose. I'm going to beat myself up about that one forever. I'm not really because I love how it turned out. Yeah, no, it was, fun, it was actually a, a lot piece. of fun to design. But yeah, there there was a point. I hit a wall in that episode. and I was like, oh my god, how the hell am I going to do this? And you know, it worked out. But. Uh, no more tiny clowns jumping. Well, actually, that's not entirely true. Don't box yourself in. There's a chance. Many more tiny clowns. You know, we've we've done all these standalone episodes, but uh, I I am actually I wasn't going to do this, but I've had an idea, and I think there may actually be a sequel to Coolrophobia. Right. Um, it'll be standalone as well. You won't need to know the first thing, but you know, we may have more clowns in the future. It's season two or so. I think it's a really smart idea. So so when I was making radio theater, I was with Our Fair City out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a very heavy, heavily serialized show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in order to I've, get I've anybody, heard the first season. 
Oh, good. I love we it. Yeah, yeah, whole, yeah. We did. We redid the whole first season. Yeah, I listened to it. It was all one. The first season was one download, mm-hmm. right, right? That's yeah. What, so I, I listened to that, and then I'm I'm going to continue listening. It's there's just such a big catalog to get through. Such <laughs> a backlog, right? You know, I'm I'm really proud of the work that we did on that show, um, but I think it's difficult to get someone in as a new listener because it's such a time investment. And I think what's very clever about Uncanny County is that it's all kind of loosely held together by this continuity. Uh, but you can start on the most recent episode and you won't have missed a whole lot. Right. 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 And predominantly present day, but we jump around in time a little bit too. You know, yeah, we, I wasn't, I wasn't at all sure when a thing for machines took place at first. And that's completely intentional. Because it sounded yeah. so um, – it's a wonderful life-y. Yeah. Yeah. Was that was that a deliberate stylistic nod to that, or is it just supposed Absolutely. to sound? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, that was well. That was the second one I wrote. I wrote Coolerphobia uh, first, and then then Machines, and, I, and Machines also just came out very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think because I was really in a Twilight Zone mode, because I'm a huge Twilight Zone fan. I've been a fan since I was a little kid, and my I mom couldn't would tell. Show it to me. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and also, I, I, the other thing that influenced me at the time, I'd been reading a lot of Ray Bradbury. Okay. And uh, just that very golden age sci-fi um, style, just it just kind of came out that way. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Um, and, and yeah, I, I wanted it to be kind of dated but timeless, I guess okay. is the way I kind of approached the bulk of that episode until you kind of see where we're going. But yeah, that was definitely a deliberate stylistic choice. Okay. You know, and then when, when I did Boy Who Cried Martian... You know, I went back and first researched everything I could find out about radio stations, mm-hmm. small small radio stations in the 30s, and listened to several Orson Welles radio dramas. Your actor does War a the very good Orson Welles impression. That was a lot of fun. That is he's phenomenal. Andrew Kempfer, and he is phenomenal. He's a terrific actor to begin. I mean, let's you know, starting with that, and the, his Welles is just unreal. I mean, it just yeah. I, I kept losing myself in the edit, feeling like. I was really listening to Wells because I I was saying I I had listened to so many of his things. And we have a section in there where they're kind of introducing the new run of radio plays he's going to be doing. And I really lifted the style from the original Mercury Theater uh, Dracula, I think was his first production. Okay, We do Frankenstein. Um, But, yeah, and then particularly in that section, uh, I have Jeffrey Denman, who also is just a master of that period style. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he's doing the intro, and then Andrew starts doing his good evening, and the intro, and it just—it's—it's it's him. He—he's phenomenal. I can't say enough. The episode would not have existed had we not discovered Andrew Kempfer, because I had the idea, and I was like, I'm not going to write this unless I know I have an Orson Welles. Sure. And boy, did we! He was great. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so if there's a specific reason to make it sound a little dated or stylistically unusual, I do. But we try to keep it. I guess most of our stuff is present day-ish, mm-hmm. right? Wigwam is in the um, 70s. That's right. Our, our That's Christmas right. episode. The, okay. the Christmas episode. About the Wigwam the Motel. <laughs> yeah. And at the time of this recording, it has not yet come out. But right. when you hear this in the archives many years from now, when the cities are but <laughs> dust, uh, but the RSS feeds still, still ping around uh, dead satellites, you'll be able to pick that up. That's right. <laughs> Todd, you wrote... Uh, on your blog a couple years ago that you like to let ideas percolate. You jot down snatches of conversations between characters. You watch similar shows to what you want to write. And you make show-based playlists to listen to while you run. 
Um, is this still your method? Is this still what you do? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I'm thinking back to the one I'm working on right now. And yeah, I've watched a lot of uh, similar, tonally similar pieces, I would say, okay. horror films and such, uh, satirical. Um, I wish I were running more because I would do more of the playlists, but I do that. I kind of pull songs that kind of make me think in that mindset, you so know. What are you listening to right now? Uh, right now, not so much. Um, more instrumental stuff. I haven't really pulled a playlist for this song because I'm just not getting into rewrites. That's how specific my process is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's this is kind of now the stage of now how do I solve the problems of the script. Mm -hmm. um, which is when I start really getting into just kind of putting on the stuff and letting my subconscious do its thing. But uh, yeah, as far as formulating it, I get just kind of a basic general idea of the plot. Generally the beginning and the end. A couple midpoint things and maybe, yeah, if I think of a scene, I jot down the scene. Okay. And I leave it alone and come back to it and... You know, half the time you end up throwing half of that stuff out because it just doesn't fit in the final picture. Sure. But it all helps bring it to life. Allison, do you have some similar kind of method or how do you how do you write? Um, I, I'd also tend to let things um, percolate for a little bit, but I do I go out for walks and I do have playlists for some things. I mean, my go to writing music is the Twin Peaks soundtrack. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I'll also, if I have, if there's something specific that I'm writing uh, where I feel like there's some other songs that might work too, the piece that I'm working on right now is, the, it's very influenced by Chris Isaac. <laughs> so I've been listening to a lot of Chris Isaac music while writing it. I don't know Chris uh, Isaac. Um, what is, what wait, does he sound do, you do, do you remember Wicked Game? The song Wicked Game? No, uh, I'm not going to do that. I just, I, I just lost your entire. Can you cut that out? You, you would recognize the song "Wicked Game" if you heard it. Um, okay. He played, it he was, played a bit part in "Silence of the Lambs." Well, he was also in Twin Peaks oh. "Fire Walk with Me." Did you okay. see yeah. "Fire Walk with Me"? I haven't. My old neighbor in Chicago made. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've, I've only watched the first season of Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. I was going to watch the second, and then watch "Fire Walk with Me" with James, and then we moved to California. Well, you know, you better get on it because there's a third season coming out. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that gum you like is about to come back in style. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Oh, I, just, I just remembered something because I, I looked over on top of the printer and I saw my phone and I realized that there was this thing that I had recorded for the two of you. Mm -hmm. There is an ice cream truck that is haunting my neighborhood. Nice. <laughs> I mean, not. Re I, I live kind of by a school, but it always seems to come by on days when school is not in session. There are no children around, and it just has this very creepy calliope. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play this recording. Haunted ice cream truck. <laughs> I like it. That's awesome. You realize that thing is being driven by a clown, right? right? Well, so so here's here's something. So I actually ended up talking to my girlfriend at the end of this recording. Let's see if you can hear it. I just realized the name of that ice cream company. It's David Ice Cream. Let us stop recording. And then she came up to me and was like, "Don't you want me to put ice cream in your body?" And I was like, "No, no, no, no." no. Oh. So my my new least favorite thing 
is the way that an ice cream truck calliope seems to be extra subject to the Doppler effect, because I held out my phone near the window, and that thing was passing at like 10 miles an hour tops, right? right? It's an ice cream truck. They do not travel fast by design. And like the, it just, it got really, as it passed the window, it just seemed to get really flat. Um, the, the sound seemed to, like the, the music suddenly seemed to, um, to bend and distend as it passed by. And yeah, it just scared yeah. the bejesus out of me. <laughs> That's, That's a creepy sound. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. Anyway, that one's free. Uh, thanks, all right. Thanks. I'm, I'm not no, making I'm, fiction I'm... right now, so you can have that if you want. Hey. Haunted good. ice cream truck. I think there's something there. Definitely, definitely. There was more in that Choco Taco than Clint ever expected. <laughs> <laughs> A universe of pain. It's it's funny to hear that you write to Twin Peaks uh, soundtrack, because I, I, it's not surprising, um, but... Um, <laughs> I don't mean that disparagingly. I just mean because of your love of the show and because I think it's a great one. I used to write to it also. Mm -hmm. um, Aw. Well, as far as, like, go-tos, I do have a couple go-tos. I also listen to uh, the Peter Gabriel, The Passion. Uh -huh. That's a good one. soundtrack for That's Last Temptation of yeah. Christ. Mm -hmm. it, that throws me into my creative space like nothing else. That's okay. kind of a good go-to for those who want such a thing. Oh, Allison, I wanted to ask yeah. you about witchy things. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, I read that you are somewhat into astrology. Am I? Uh, it said that it was your guilty pleasure was reading horoscopes. Oh. Is that no longer true? Oh, no. I guess it, I, I have no idea where you found that. But yeah, yeah, I do. I do. It is my guilty pleasure. I do like reading horoscopes. <laughs> but you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily say that astrology is like one of your big capital I interests. Um, I think it used, definitely used to be more like when I was in college and grad school. I was okay. very interested in astrology, but I still I still read my horoscopes. Um, I have several that I read. <laughs> what, uh, what's, your, what's your sign? I'm a Pisces. Okay. What did the stars tell you the other day? Um, let me look at my favorite one. Let me just pull okay. it up here. Um, I enjoy um, Astralutely by Penny Thornton. Um, I, I love that name. Uh, that's why I'm laughing. She's a British astrologer, and I think that she's a really like famous one that does like astrology for the royal family. I think I might be making that part up. Um, this week for Pisces, the devil's in the details. Much of this year may have found you trying to separate fact from fantasy and in the process suffering from a kind of terminal inertia. That's true. Um, once again, Saturn and Neptune play an equal part in events, thrusting you from one side of the fence to the other. Even if you feel life is plain sailing and you know what you want and how to go about getting it, there is sure to be something that you have not thoroughly examined. Okay. And does that feel true? Um, I feel like some of that is true. Yeah. I've, I've, I felt an inertia-ish for a while. Okay. What does it say for Libra? Yeah, what, Libra? What is, what's Todd's? Let's see. Decision-making, as we know, is not always Libra's forte. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you may know what you want, but faced with the prospect of so many possible outcomes, you cannot bring yourself to make a statement. You have something of an excuse to defer a decision at the moment. Saturn and Neptune are angling Mercury, the planet of dialogue, debate, and travel, making the going misty and murky. Ooh. Okay. Do you feel like that's true? 
I guess so. I mean, yeah, that's the the classic uh, Libra thing is that you can't make a decision. And God knows my, my wife is also a Libra. And, oh, you know, we kind no. Of, we kind of feel like marriage is basically one person asking the other one where they want to eat until one of you dies. Oh, no. Um, because that it, we never know. We, we have a whole process we go through to pick the restaurant. It's kind of funny. David, what's your astrological sign? I am a Leo. My birthday is August the 10th. The week ahead for Leo. All right. If it's broken, fix it. That's what it says. Well, that's just good advice. I know. A new moon in your sign begins a fresh cycle, and especially if it is your birthday on the second or third. The coming 12 months will open up new territory in all senses of the phrase. Even if your birthday does not fall on these dates, fresh starts could and should be made now. To add to the aura of new beginnings, Mars arrives in the area of creativity, helping you enjoy life for the next few weeks. And for some Leos, a new romance or creative project is in the pipeline. I hope not new romantic. That would be bad. Creative project. (laughs) Creative Creative project project would be great. That's Uh, awesome. Let's see. Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) We shall see what the stars ordain. Yes. Well, it was absolutely a pleasure to have both of you on the show. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And it was an absolute pleasure to have you as our guests listening in on that conversation. But now, I reckon I hear a distant rumble. And that ain't no fracking-induced earthquake. It's a stampede of credits! Our theme song, Danger Did You Do, is by DJ Stranger Danger of Oakland, California. You can find his work on SoundCloud. Our guest producer for this episode and the several that preceded it was Eli McElveen, who is just goddamn awesome. Eli, thank you for filling in for Matt in the month of August. You can find Eli's audio fiction work at albasalix.com. That's A-L-B-A-S-A-L-I-X.com. Our researchers are Heather Cohen and Monique Boudreaux, who like to sit around the fire swapping lies that grow bigger and bigger until they grow hair and skin and teeth and walk off with your food when they think you ain't looking. I see you, live beast. Don't think I don't. Our line producer is Matthew Boudreaux. And I'll say this. Matt isn't scared of clowns. Clowns are scared of Matt. I once saw him break a two-by-four with a look. True story. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhound, born in a tornado with a mic in each hand. He came out recording, and he's been that way ever since. I'm your humble host, David Reinstrom, and I'm pleased to report that Allison's horoscope for me came true. Look for a new and wonderful creative project this month. Thanks for listening, and remember, I'm telling you stories. Trust me. <laughs>